Hello and welcome to the Business Behind Sport podcast series from Ankura, the global expert services and advisory firm. I'm Rich Patel, a director in our London team at Ankura. In this series, we talk to sport industry leaders to explore their perspectives and insights on a variety of current topics and themes relating to the business side of sport. So welcome to the Ankura Business Behind Sport podcast. In the last few months, we've covered a range of topics, including sports law and sports betting. This month, we're going to shift our focus to the world of risk and opportunity, a world that Ankura knows well. But we're specifically going to focus in on the sports insurance industry. According to DBRS Morningstar, the sports insurance industry is expected to reach a worth of $600 billion by 2025. So this month, we're going to try and explore that a bit, not, not just the complexity and the evolution of the sports insurance sector, but also examine some of the key risks facing the sector in 2023. So to do that, I'm thrilled to be joined today by Duncan Fraser. Duncan is a partner and global head of sport and entertainment at Howden Insurance Brokers, and he joins us on the, the podcast Duncan brings a wealth of experience and knowledge of the sports insurance sector, uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing from him. So welcome, Duncan. Thank you, Johnny, and a very happy new year to you. And to you. Thank you very much for joining us, Duncan, and it's great to be talking to you today. So let's start, perhaps, Barley, if you, you can talk a little bit about your journey. You've been in the insurance business for some time. You're now the global head of sports entertainment at Howden, but how did you get there and what was the journey along the way? So it's been a very interesting journey, Johnny, but uh, I've always had a huge passion for sport, latterly more entertainment as well. And back in the 90s, so a long time ago, um, I happened to be in the right place at the right time where we picked up some business in the insurance world for the Sydney Olympics. So what happens for the Olympic Games is insurances tend to be placed well in advance of the actual event. And so uh, we won the part of the Sydney Olympics account. And on the back of that, we suddenly realized, well, hang on a sec. Not only do you have the Olympic Games, but you have World Cups, you have music, you have entertainment, you have football, and the list goes on and on and so the, the business has, has evolved since then it's you know it's been a fairly incredible journey and two and a half years ago David Howden and, and others um, approached me there Howden is uh, very much a sort of people first entrepreneurial it empowers its people type firm and they wanted to set up a sport and entertainment business but importantly a global business where we have all the geographies and the teams of people in different geographies collaborating. It's all coordinated in what we do for clients. We're consistent in what we do for clients. And we wanted that to be on a truly global basis. And so I started in the middle of lockdown from where I'm speaking to you now at home in April uh, 2020. And we're building the business ever since. Yeah, f- fascinating journey. And you've worked for some of the leading insurance brokers along the way. Sports insurance is, a, as we just heard about, potentially an enormous sector. I don't know whether you agree with that valuation by Morningstar, but enormous sector. Just talk a little bit more about it. I'm particularly interested in, we obviously know the sports insurance brokers, such as Howden, but are there underwriters who are specialising more in sport or are they more general? How, how, how does it all work now? So, so the way it works is there are a, a number of specialist insurance brokers like Howden, 
And there are also a number of global insurers and reinsurers that will take the risk ultimately. And those are based either in uh, Lloyds of London that you'll be familiar with, so the Lloyds of London uh, syndicates, or your large global reinsurers like Munich Re, Swiss Re, Hanover Re, uh, etc., and some of the large continental European companies. And so these are the organisations that actually put up the capital, and they're the ones that uh, pay the claims as and when they come in. So, you know, it's a big industry. And I think one of the things that we're seeing rights increase for events, so events are getting bigger and bigger. We're seeing things like player salaries, so values of players are getting higher. You only need to look at Ronaldo recently and the, the deal that he's been offered in uh, Saudi Arabia, which is it's huge. And a lot of that needs to be insured. So um, there's an increasing demand and so your figure of, of 600 billion by 2025, I think, is you know a realistic figure. Yeah, no, it's an extraordinary amount. And those underwriters, do you tend to find that some of them are more focused on sports risk than others? Or, or are they all playing that sector? How does that, as you're placing these risks, how, how's that working? So I think, you know, we could probably talk about COVID, actually, but uh, COVID was very, very interesting in our world. So pre-COVID, there were a large number of underwriters and insurance companies that would take risk. COVID came along, and just to give you an example in our world, if you take the events world, to date around 7 billion US dollars have been paid in claims. So that's events all around the world that uh, didn't happen due to COVID. And that $7 billion of claims is against an annual premium pot of roughly 500 million US dollars. So just looking at the simple maths, you can see that a huge amount of money has been lost due to COVID. So pre-COVID, there were a large number of insurers that would participate in sport risks. And because insurers have lost such a significant amount of money, what we've seen is that the capital will be available to clients, event organisers, people involved in the sport and entertainment sector is much less and we've obviously seen the knock-on effect of restrictions and things like terms and conditions and also things like pricing. So the market is a lot smaller now, In the, the insurance market is a lot smaller now than it was pre-COVID. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I think pandemic cancellation insurance, which was a pretty specialty line, I think Wimbledon, Tokyo Olympics, maybe one or two others took it out. And that might be some of the losses that you're referring to. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of the events were actually insured. And the thing, the thing you've got to realise is when you're looking at an event, the obvious ones are things like the Olympic Games and the World Cups. And you've got things like college football. You've got things like global conferences uh, all, all around the world. And there are huge revenues associated with these events. You know, those as soon as March 2020 came in, uh, they, they, they stopped happening. And I mentioned Munich Re earlier, and it's quite interesting fact that, you know, the, the actuaries at these big reinsurance companies, the experts, I think they, they do a lot of modelling. And I know you and your world do quite a bit of modelling too. But the modelling came out sort of certainly pre-COVID that a pandemic could happen in one geography globally, so in one continent. And the longest, I suppose, the period that it would happen for was, was predicted to be around three months. So we know from March 2020, the, the whole world locked down. And I think we were expecting things to uh, get back to normal in autumn 2020. And it's really only just now that we're, we're 
getting back to normal. You know, it was just sort of the end of end of last year. I'm just on that. I read, you know, obviously quite a lot of disputes with people who'd taken out sort of business continuity type insurance, business interruption insurance, as to whether or not pandemic cancellation was covered. Where are all those disputes? Are they still going on? Are they still rumbling on, or have they been settled? So a lot of those have been settled, which is great news. I think there's the, the odd thing that is rumbling on. But I think if you sort of defer back to sport and entertainment, I have to say that the insurers, so those that actually ended up paying the claims, very, very large majority were all paid. And in fact, uh, we have some clients that certainly for the years of 2020 and 2021, insurance was their biggest revenue stream. So it saved a lot of organizations so i think in sport and entertainment specifically there's a there's there's very much a good news story to be told i'd say less so in the commercial world right 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 yeah no i think certainly think that's right from what i've heard and clients that i've spoken to well listen we're looking back at covid let's look forward now we're at the beginning of 2023 as we record this and you know as you just said Duncan we're just coming out of COVID now I think a lot of things have changed maybe I could ask you to pick on three things that you know are are front of your mind as you're working with your clients in the sports and entertainment sector looking forward what would be the three things that you would pick up on? Not necessarily the top risks, but things that are dynamics that are changing post-COVID, if I could put it that way. So the three things that we're focusing on, and there's a, there's a large number of things that we're looking at all the time, but the things on our radar at the moment are the continuing uh, challenge to ensure sporting events or events globally, particularly due to a natural catastrophe and things like weather changes. The second thing, which is very, very topical in everything that we're doing at the moment is cyber. And the third thing, which I personally find you know, absolutely fascinating is we're doing a lot of work on the data and analytics around athlete injuries. So particularly in professional football. Wow. Okay. That last one, we'll come, we'll talk about that because we've been talking in previous podcasts about data and who owns data and so on. But listen, let's maybe look at each of those in a bit more detail in turn. Your first risk you singled out there was sort of major events, not just sporting events, but but I think also music festivals and the like and, and weather. Talk a bit more about the practical challenge of ensuring events against, if you like, climate change and and other factors of that nature? So on on the event side, what we're seeing is that the weather patterns globally have changed dramatically. So normally in the summer, it would be deemed to be a good time to host an outdoor event, the winter not so. But what what we're seeing now is we're just seeing the weather affecting events all around the world, so in, in all the major geographies, particularly the US and continental Europe, at all times of the year. And we've had things like music festivals, which are big, big events being affected by you know, hurricanes, by bad weather, by lightning. And there are you know certain times of the year now in certain places where it's almost impossible to actually ensure an event that's taking place. So that makes it very, very challenging because... As we've seen uh, post-COVID, there's been this boom in the people attending events and going out and spending money. And so the revenues are all increasing and uh, insurance is very, very important, but you can't necessarily buy it. Wow. So, I mean, if you were, I don't want to single out any specific events, but if you were holding one of those really mega outdoor events in the US, you're saying now that 
you're doing that at risk almost. Potentially, you're doing that at risk that, you know, if there's a, a weather event and you have to cancel or it's severely impacted, you just can't get insurance now. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. It, and it's, you know, it, it's a very odd thing to say, but, you know, if you're, if you're hosting, say, an outdoor event in somewhere like Miami, you know, during the peak hurricane season, then you might need to consider whether you want to host it at that time of, of year. And we've also seen events in certain places, for example, you know, Las Vegas, which is normally very benign in the middle of the desert. We've seen things like excess wind, which has resulted in sandstorms, which has resulted in events being postponed or cancelled. So, so it seems to be happening everywhere. Yeah, no, I've been, I, I was rugby sevens in Vegas and it was surprisingly windy and sandy. Well, I mean, that's fascinating. You know, that's going to be a real challenge if you can't ensure your event because of weather you're going to really need to think carefully about whether you you hold the thing you said your second area of focus was cyber i think everyone's reasonably familiar with cyber risks but as they affect the sports industry what areas of exposure are you you particularly worried about so from our point of view the exposure really is around the sort of the business interruption and you know using the example of 60,000 people not being able to get into a venue because the system's not recognizing the barcode and the gates aren't opening not only do you have business interruption of the event either being postponed or or not happening but you've then got the knock-on effect depending on what sport it is uh, as to whether there's crowd trouble etc so that's something that we're working very very hard actually in our world and we've got a product that's going to be launched fairly soon that will certainly provide a solution for you know financial assistance for event organizers should that sort of scenario happen but Certainly in our world, you know, if you don't take cyber seriously and you don't have the right, you know, risk mitigations in place, insurers won't even quote. And and I know you as Ankura are heavily involved in that space as well. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right that we think we look at some of those ticket entry systems with concern that they just have too many single points of failure. So business continuity programs around that and redundant systems and contracts let to cover those risks would all seem to be sensible things. And from what you're saying, unless you do that, you're probably not going to be able to get insurance for that particular risk, which could be catastrophic again. Because I'm assuming, Duncan, if the event doesn't happen, you know, not only is the event holder out of pocket, but presumably broadcasters and anybody else who are planning to broadcast the event, bet on the event, and so on, they're all going to be putting claims in, right? Exactly. It has a huge knock on to all of the stakeholders in these events, you know, broadcasters being major ones. And broadcast risk itself actually is is something that's worth uh, touching on from a cyber aspect, because if broadcasting a, a World Cup final or, the you know, the Olympic Games 100 meters, for example, and for whatever reason, the screen goes blank in that, those are your sort of peak moments. And if you're broadcasting a, a football game and you happen to miss the, the goal during that period where the broadcasting doesn't happen, then again, there's a that knock-on effect as well so these are all very very hot topics at the moment yeah really interesting i'm also very interested in the whole sort of pirating of broadcast content and the redistribution of that and we obviously had the be in sport issue which seems to have been resolved but there's a lot of that going on i my teenage son seemed to be able to find ways to watch just about everything without paying for it so there's a lot of issues out there in that in that space i think Darcy, you talked really about data and analytics around athlete injury, and that's something we talked a couple of podcasts ago. We talked quite a lot about that with Bobby Hacker from the Sports Lawyers Association around some of the legal complications around athletes' data. 
So I'd be very interested to hear where you're coming from on, on using that data and analytics around athlete injuries. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, so what we don't do is we don't we don't relate the data to specific athletes, but what we're looking at is injuries and the types of injury and the length of time that players are being injured for. And for the last couple of years, we've produced a journal called the Howden European Football Injury Index, where we now have the data for the five major European leagues in England, Spain, Germany, France, and Italy. So we have details of every single injury that has resulted in a player missing at least one game. And what we've also been able to do is look at the cost of that over time. And I think in our world, the more data that we can get on injuries and the more analysis that we can do will certainly change from an insurance point of view, what is quite a stale product that our clients buy. So, you know, if you look at the 2021-2022 season, across all of those leagues, there were about 4,800 injuries, which was a 20% increase on 2020. Now, I think people would say, you know, there might be some link to COVID there. But if you take the Premier League, you know, Chelsea had the most injuries and Real Madrid was the team in Europe that, again, of all the major clubs had the most injuries. But what we're looking at is trends. And so, you know, some of the things we're seeing is that there's quite a lot of recurring injuries. Players generally have, you know, we've seen an increase as right, 2.3 injuries per player per season. And then you've got the cost. And for the first time in 2021-22, the cost across Europe hit north of 500 million euros for the cost to clubs of players who are out injured. And it actually the total was about 610 million euros for that season. So what we're looking at is we're, we're looking at these trends. And at the moment, it's really repeating information. But what we're looking at, you know, whether young players are more likely to be injured than older players or certain positions, etc. So we do know that forwards tend to be more likely to, to suffer from injuries than other players on the pitch. And what we're seeing is young players are having more injuries. They're recovering quicker, but it looks like young players are being used more by clubs. The next steps in this, I think, Johnny, which will take it to a new level, is actually looking at players and looking at the data on how far they run during a game. And we can start looking at, you know, so if there are players that run more than a certain distance over their career, then they may be more likely to suffer injuries towards the end of their career compared to others that don't run as far. So ultimately, what we want to be able to do is to go to our clients and we're in the process of talking to a number of clubs on this basis and and say, look, you know, based on the data, these are the players you should be insuring. These are the players that will cost you far less to insure than, you know, than the higher risk ones. So it's it's a really exciting area and, you know, lots more work to do. Yeah, no, I can see that. And fascinating area, Duncan, and being able to start to categorise players by the likelihood and probability of incurring injury and so on. Is, is, from your perspective, I can see extremely useful. What Bobby was talking about is, you know, obviously if that starts to have a value on the player so you know if you're in the transfer market and you're trying to sell a player and and the insurers say well they're higher risks than some other player you can see where this is going to go i think it's a really interesting emerging area but not without its complexity i suspect yeah, exactly. And I think what you've said there is, you know, that's exactly what we're looking at. You might have a player, let's just say a 25-year-old player that has run the equivalent of, let's just say, a 32-year-old. So actually going to the point that you made there, actually his value may well not be as high as other players age 25 because if you use the analogy of a car, if it's done 
100,000 miles, then, you know, there, there might not be much time left. Very interesting how that will all develop. It reminds me a bit, Duncan, of back in the day in my previous company, we used to do work looking at sort of estimated and then probable maximum losses to oil refineries and things like that, because you couldn't insure the whole oil refinery just wasn't practical but you could do an estimate of what was a likely or probable loss from a a realistic scenario and then you just ensure that bit am i wrong in saying this this looks a bit similar and that you would start to ensure players for likely losses rather than total non-availability am i oversimplifying it or is that part of what you're coming to here I think that's where you could get to. I think the similarities are you're dealing with assets, but the difference is, is that you're dealing with people. Yep. Uh, every single individual is different compared to, you know, whether it's the, the oil rig or whatever. So that's the interesting thing is, is you know, trying to find the trends, you know, looking at the, the thousands of people that pay professional football. Yeah, no, really interesting. And you publish that report every every year i think don't you yeah so that comes out beginning of september every year and then we do an update so it'd be very interesting to see how having a winter world cup has affected the injuries so that's something that we're really excited about uh, you know seeing well actually what have been the effects of the world cup on player injuries uh, and potentially on the performance of some of the top teams in the european leagues yeah, no, that will be fascinating. I'm, I'm sure you can't share us any insights yet, but it will be really interesting when it comes out. And I know that I hadn't published that on their, on their website, so I'm sure listeners will want to get hold of that. And presumably as well, you know, there's a lot of debate about the crowded schedule. I mean, I know that, you know, the FA are meeting as we speak to look at the FA Cup, the League Cup. Uh, formats and the community shield how they fit all those things in these days with the european competitions the club world cup getting much bigger as was announced in qatar uh, as well as the the leagues themselves presumably your data is going to give a more scientific basis to this you know is the congested schedule bad for players or you know does it not really matter or what is the optimum size of a squad to rotate in order to avoid injuries and so on i mean it's got a lot of application right yeah correct and i think you've hit the nail on the head you know it's scientific and the more we do it we're into our third year now so the more data that we get then the more scientific we can be on it and we can go to some of these organizations and just give a an independent view based on the data and based on the analysis of that data and then people can take a view on it so again that's ultimately you know what we're looking to do in our world is to is to sort of mitigate risk and and you know save our clients uh, money not on uh, insurance premium yeah well very interesting so thank you doug we talked there about major events and some of the challenges of ensuring them especially around global warming and changes in weather patterns we've talked about cyber particular sort of access to stadiums now all digital all on e-tickets broadcasting and so on and then lastly really interesting discussion around data and analytics around athletes injuries so three really key areas for for you in the coming year and i wish you well with them before we go, you know, you and I have been in the sports sector. We've known each other quite a long time. What drew you into sport? What, what's your favourite sport or your favourite sporting moment? What's the thing that you draw inspiration from? 
so listen i love all sport i could spend all day and all night watching different sports and you know i like watching it all i think if you're you know looking to sort of the you know favorite sporting moment probably one that showing my age now and something that you'd be able to relate to too but uh you know certainly f- favorite moment for me was probably my most favorite sport which is rugby was scotland's grand slam win in 1990 which you'll remember at murrayfield when gavin hastings kicked that ball and tony stanger scored in the right hand corner but i think you know working in the world of sport and very very fortunate to see a lot of live sport and i don't think there's anything better than watching live sport i was very fortunate to see the champions league final in uh, 2015 in berlin when barcelona beat juventus uh, 3-1 but to see players like you know neymar and yester messi buffon you know it was just you know amazing to see those guys live and and then all sorts of sports i mean i don't know if you've been to a, a world cup ski championship or the world championships in austria i mean they are incredible events from an organizational point of view but the fans are, are incredible you know the the noise when that austrian person knocks a tenth of a second off the time in the downhill is absolutely incredible so you know so i enjoy it all and i really like the variety yeah i think i'm with you on that um actually the ski the ski downhill race is something i've not been to that's inspired me not a lot of snow at the moment uh you're coming back to your major events i don't know whether you would this is just an aside what about ensuring a ski world championship from lack of snow is that something that's you know coming back to we're talking major is that is that a thing yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, I say up to date, that's been very, very insurable. But going back to the point we discussed earlier, the, the challenge is, is that, you know, this time of year in January, one, it's normally snow. Two, normally it's cold enough to actually make the snow. And, you know, this year we've seen neither of that's that's happened in certain parts. And so it's been, from a financial point of view, for some of the French resorts in particular, it's been crippling. I think it's about to change this week, thank goodness. But uh, those are exactly the sorts of things that, you know, we get stuck into and where insurance will pay out for our clients, uh, particularly those organising the events. Yeah, that inspires me. I need to go to a, a Ski World Cup downhill race before those things are no longer possible to see. Hopefully that won't be the case, but there we go. Well, listen, Duncan, really appreciate you joining us on the Ankura Business Behind Sport podcast today. Thank you for your insights on the world of insurance, sports insurance. Absolutely fascinating. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of the Business Behind Sport, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. Just search for Ankura. You can follow all our latest insights and find out how we are supporting clients to reduce risk and protect business value by visiting ankura.com.